We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, wow. Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Happy Sunday, Monday to you. Hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving week and got some nice R&R in there and got some nice food. But we got to see two Pacer games this weekend. We got to see a win against the Raptors, and then Sunday night, a loss against the Milwaukee Bucks. And joining me now... After an 11-hour trip back from New York, the one and only Michael J. Fachi Fachi. Happy post-Thanksgiving to you, brother. Hey, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yep, fresh off the car ride from hell. Uh, I would have loved to return to a Pacers W, but uh, that was not quite the case. Alex, I don't want to pencil the Bucks in as a constant loss, but it's another reminder. We're just not at that level yet. Here's what I'll tell you. The only thing you need to know is the largest lead for the Bucks was 22. The largest for the Pacers was two. Uh, points in the paint, 62 Bucks, 36 Pacers. Like that pretty much just says it all. Shooting was pretty bad from the Pacers side of things, just 41% from the field, 26% from three. I mean, you know, they couldn't throw in, uh, water into the ocean at this point, Fachi, watching this Pacers team play. I, I mean, really, aside from Karis Levert, it felt like the entire team. I mean, I mean, McConnell had some nice moments there as well, but really, aside from Karis Levert being nine of thirteen for twenty-three points, this team looked terrible. Demontis Sabonis and Miles Turner combined two of twelve. I mean, it's just it's just gross. I mean, I turned it off in the fourth quarter. I had to after Quinn Buckner made this statement. He was like, "The Pacers went without any centers in the lineup for a moment there, Fachi, to start the fourth quarter." 
change it up a little bit just to switch everything, play smaller, see if they get out and run, that kind of thing. And Jeremiah Johnson came on and said something about playing with no centers. And then Quinn was like, well, the Bucks really aren't playing with the center either. I mean, Giannis is out there, but he's not really a center. It's like he's seven foot tall and 245 <laughs> yeah. pounds. He he's can do it bigger all. than our center alone. Like, what are we talking about? Like, no, he's not a, whatever you want to call a quote unquote center, but he's been playing center for how many, how many games now throughout the last couple of years? Like it was just so annoying. I had to turn it off. He could pretty much play any position, except we're not going to put him at the two guard. But I mean, this this man can handle the rock. He can do it all. I mean, yeah. that's why he's you know MVP, Defensive Player of the Year. He can do just about everything. But yeah, you mentioned two of twelve from Sabonis and Turner. I mean, if you ever showed me a game that we can win when Turbonis goes two of twelve, I would say that's an absolute fluke because that <laughs> is not the recipe for uh, winning basketball. And then you mentioned Levert, twenty three points. Yeah, it's great, but eighteen of them came in the first half. So, yeah. and that's when it looked like it was a close game, being a five-point game. Second half was anything but. But like I said, I like I tweeted out, as long as we didn't get Giannis, you know, taking photographs and all over ESPN on the, on the bench, but at that point, man, I guess we could move on without being highlighted for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair enough. I mean, I, I think Indiana is just – the sports fan base right now of Indiana pro teams is just very, uh, very – and they're in a bad spot right now because – the Colts just lost a heartbreaker to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Game they should never have lost whatsoever. Just idiotic stuff happened to them there in that second half and puked it away. And then you come and get to get to watch the Bucks beat all over the Pacers. So it's like, you know, it's just like not a great day to sit here and like be excited about Indiana sports. But with that being said, I mean, I knew this game was probably going to go this way. I'm sure you anticipated a loss like this as well. Unfortunately. Uh, nobody to guard Giannis, not enough shot creators. The Bucks were forcing us to shoot a lot of threes. A lot of our threes were terrible. Uh, you know, shots. 45. Yeah, I mean, Ugh. it's just like they were forcing us to shoot threes. We're not really a good, consistent three-point shooting team. Every time Duarte shoots the ball, he's grabbing his elbow and his arm. It's like something's clearly not right with him. They put Jeremy Lamb in there to, to try to get some offense going. In the in the first half, because they're just like, look, we don't have anybody to really shoot the ball. Torrey Craig's not a shooter. McConnell was taking ten seconds to wind up to shoot threes. I mean, I think he only ended up shooting like what was it, two of them? But like the two that he took looked absolutely disgusting. So just one of those nights. I mean, Turner he had one that was way off. I mean, I I don't know. I think the Pacers might be like us, Fachi. They just see this team on the schedule. They're just like, yeah, scheduled loss, right? So not much to say about this game, but. Uh, we do have a lot of mailbag questions, and today is our Monday mailbag, so we're not going to do Player of the Week this uh, this uh, this Sunday. We're not going to be doing our rookie report yet just because it's been such a long weekend. We're all trying to come back and get ready for that, so Tuesday we will do that. But we're definitely going to take a quick break right now, unless you have anything else you want to say on this game, Fachi. I just want to move on. Yeah. We're moving on to the next game. <laughs> all right. So just like this game, we're just going to act like it didn't happen. We're going to take a quick break real quick. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, it's time for the peppiness to change a little bit, get that negative taste out of our mouth, because it is time for us to answer your questions here on Mailbag Monday. So, Fachi, let's get things started off right here with faithful listener, faithful question sender ender, Samuel Corbertson at SJC2397. At what point do we put some of the blame on Carlisle? Because last year we blamed Navy Yorkman for a lot of things, and this year we haven't. Uh, seen or we haven't been that much better should Carlisle get some of the blame or no we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm not ready to put the blame on Carlisle because I, I like the fact that he's at least experimented with different things. And at times it's worked. I feel like we've heard from you know people that followed those Mavs teams closely in the past that Carl likes to tinker around with some lineups. And I, I think he's, he's doing that. I think that this team's starting to get healthier. We're starting to see, you know, them play close in a lot of games, but with Bjorkren, it was like, this guy was an absolute madman. I mean, we heard yeah. how he didn't want Brogdon taking any mid-range shots at all. Didn't even believe in mid-range shots. Uh, and I know a lot of coaches are frown upon the mid-range, but it seemed like Bjorkren had his style and he wasn't going to listen to anyone. He wasn't going to hold any of the players accountable. At least we're seeing Carlisle hold players accountable. So I'm not ready to put blame on Carlisle yet. No, I mean, first and foremost, if you want to get mad about anything, I see, I think you should just look at the roster construction. Yeah. If that's what you want to be mad about, because, you know, you got this roster. You've got, you got three different coaches in three years and you're kind of getting the same results. Like maybe not as bad, maybe not as good as uh, Nate McMillan's, you know, final year because he had a pretty good regular season. But still, this has been a really tough schedule. We've talked about a lot of games on the road. They're back home now for a little bit. They go on the road one more time against the Timberwolves Monday, but then they're home for like another three or four games. So a big stretch of games at home coming up in December. Schedule gets a little bit easier. Not, I mean, the Pacers have played the most games, I think, out of any team in yep, the NBA the so far. So I just, I think overall they played the most games in the NBA. So it's just one of those things they've had a tough, I mean, they're playing almost every night. There's no off night truly for this team. So give them a little bit of time just to get some rest, stay home. See how, it, how, see how things go before we start blaming Carlisle for everything. But I'm just not ready to put the full blame on him. I'm, I'm sure there are things he could do better. But at the same time, he doesn't know this roster incredibly well, so he's experimenting with different things. So I think that Nate Bjorkren, it was just more of a how he handled the players, how he handled his coaching staff. It was a personnel it – was, it wasn't like a X's and O's thing, more so of a – how he treated people thing, like just a relationship level. So exactly. that's, that's where I think you got to give Carlisle some benefit of the doubt because he's built a good coaching staff. Their plus minus has gotten a lot better. I think they were before tonight's game, they were a, a positive and point mm -hmm. differential. The defense has gotten much better. So you're seeing improvements. It's just taken a little bit of time because of all of the nuances, the injuries, that kind of stuff. It's taken time. We're seeing the team in, in a better direction. I mean, you mentioned you had a tweet out there that basically – you know, in the month of November before this game, I mean, they were two games above 500. So they had improved, you know, through the first 19 games, 12 of them were on the road. So, I mean, that that's a lot, mm -hmm. uh, tw you know, 12 games on the road as opposed to seven at home. 
through the first 19. I, I know that specifically. So we're seeing this team make some changes around. But with Bjorken, I mean, you saw the team just play no defense at all. None. I mean, when Carl inherited this roster, it was to try and get back to being at least a respectable defensive team. And they're really starting to do that. So, you know, this team still has a long ways to go, but I would put this more on the front office construction of the team, just like you said before I put it on Carlisle. Yeah, and, and just real quick on Bjorkman, because you said, like, they didn't play any defense at all. It was funny because Miles Turner was on a podcast like last week with Zach Noble and uh, Roosh Williams on the Balls Live podcast. And Zach's going to be joining us on Tuesday to give us a little bit of thoughts on that podcast and kind of recap the Timberwolves-Pacers game because he is a T-Wolves guy. But with that being said, one of the things Miles said is his favorite defensive system was the Nate Bjorkman system. <laughs> so a lot of it was just to, like, funnel everything to Miles, though. Mm-hmm. And Miles Perfect. got to just kind of stay there and uh, protect the rim. But with that being said, it really hurt this team in, in the long haul because when Miles went out, they didn't have anybody else. So it was just like, this is a not a great, it's a very flawed system, but let's move on. We got a lot of questions. So up next, another faithful listener and uh, uh, consistent question sender ender. That is at a Hugh Pacers. He said, many teams are getting off to slow starts this season, primarily due to injury. This has been a major issue for the Pacers the past four to five seasons. Do you think we will see more of an emphasis from the organization to acquire players with little to no injury history going forward. I hope so. I hope so because it's finally hit its point where it's like when you're looking in the bargain bin and you're trying to find a bunch of deals, uh, sometimes they're, they're not the best deals. You know, sometimes it's like, a hey, you know, th- this being a, a little bit dinged and 25% off, it, it, it's it's a reason. It's I don't want to say broken, but it's, it's a little bit damaged. And that's what some of these players, unfortunately, when they're coming to the Pacers, Coming to the Pacers with an injury history, that doesn't just go away. Guys don't just like shake off major injuries for the most part. It tends to linger. And I, I think that the Pacers would be doing everybody a disservice if they continue that trend because eventually, I mean, it, it's going to end up with you're going to have a couple guys that you're paying, but they're not playing. Yeah, so that's a great point. We've talked about it a lot. They go after these kind of guys because they're cheaper to get but you're hoping you can maximize on their talent if they're healthy. And you're hoping that with your great training staff that you're able to get them healthy. But like you said, if they've got that injury history, there's only so much a training staff can do. They can do a great job of helping them rehab and recover, but it's not going to keep them, prevent them from getting or re-aggravating injuries. So I completely understand your frustration, Aaron. I'm right there with you. That's why they go out and, you know, they draft guys like, Duarte and Isaiah Jackson that aren't really known for injury problems and hopefully they can hit on those guys. So that's the way you should try to build. Maybe if you're making trades, don't trade for someone that's got a lengthy injury history, but at the same time, look at the deals they've made for those players. They've never really given up much. So no, they've been favorable in our situation. They really have. So, I mean, you can't blame them, but at the same time, they need to be held accountable because if your best players are always hurt and you're trying to prove this, fan base that you're trying to be a tough out in the playoff you got to get to the playoffs first you got to play enough games to get to the playoffs and if these players don't do that then that's where you're kind of stuck at so um let's move on Zachary Barnett says any teams that have improperly used trade pieces the Pacers should go after I personally think that the Kings try and move Fox or Boston moves off Marcus Smart and I think the roster needs something look you always want to look at the Kings if you're looking for a team that could be selling, but I know that they love Jaron Fox over there. I mean, he's 
handsomely paid. I know that we would not be able to uh, trade Malcolm Brogdon this year. And I don't think they're looking to give up um, De'Aaron Fox. So, man, obviously you and I have talked about that, that it would be great to acquire Fox. But I don't think that he's available. It gets tough. Even uh, Marcus Smart signed a $77 million contract uh, a few months ago. I think it was in August. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy that you're paying for, you know, just on the defensive side of things. So I don't know if Smart's the guy either. Man, I really don't know who else is out there, but I do think there'll be some rumblings maybe over the next month or two as we start to inch a bit closer to the trade deadline. But for now, it's hard to tell. Well, just I thought it was hilarious. As I'm asking this question, I got a message on Twitter from our our good friend Gavin, who's at World, and he didn't send a question, but he does sometimes. And it was actually a link from um, from an article that was giving a trade suggestion involving the Kings and, and the Pacers. And it said De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley to the Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Torrey Craig, and the 2026 first-round pick. Um, I don't know if that's enough I don't to know get Fox out of there. But I didn't make this trade up. Just throwing it out there. It was from Grant Afseth. He um, used to cover the Pacers for a while. Yep. I think he does a lot of Dallas Mavericks work he now. Does. So, um, you know, shout-out to Grant. But – that's um that's an interesting trade. I, I would actually be okay with it. You know, at this point, I'm I think this Pacers team needs a little bit of a shakeup. You get more athleticism, you get more ball creation with uh with De'Aaron Fox in a different way. I mean, Sabonis is still a really good shot creator or ball creator as well. But at the end of the day, looking at the Kings, you know, like we've talked about Buddy Heald. We felt like that, you know, ship's kind of you know sailed already, yeah. but at the same time, like Imagine the Bucks playing this zone against us, and we got Buddy Hill out there. If Buddy Hill's on, I mean, he can really provide something. You know, same with Harrison Barnes. Like Harrison Barnes is someone that I think would be the best person we've had to guard Giannis out of this roster for the last couple of years. So, I mean, there's players like that that you could look at. I would, I would actually welcome a Marcus Smart hiring or a hiring a uh, trade, just because I like Marcus Smart. I think that he provides something in terms of that you know dog mentality that we've talked Definitely. about. So. I would be okay with either of those types of moves, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't want to trade Domas or Miles if you feel like you're getting less than equal value in a trade. That That's the thing. Look, Marcus Smart, like, look, there is a lot of things that he brings to the table. Offense is not one of them. So if you have to trade a good amount to bring him in there, you, you got to then ask yourself, how much better does this make this Pacers team? Yes, he brings some great intangibles, but – you know, his new contract pays him right around about $18 million per year. So he's in that 18 to $20 million range. So he's pretty handsomely paid. So it, it complicates things a bit. But, um, hey, we're going to have to wait and, and see what other names pop up. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But as we get closer to December, that December 15th deadline, when people can start becoming trade eligible or whatever that date is now, I know it's been kind of tinkered with because of the weird schedule that we had in the offseason. But just keep an eye on out. You know, we're coming up among trade se- trade season here within the next couple of months. So would not be surprised if we hear Pacers players and, and, and trade rumblings. But this comes from at DJ Davis Law. He said, what changes do you expect when Warren returns, hopefully in December? Uh, the, the easiest thing to say is Justin Holiday to the bench. I mean, TJ Warren is not going to be on this team to be coming off the bench. He, you got to imagine he's he's plugged in right in that starting lineup. So you imagine it's in a perfect world if everyone's healthy, Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, you know, uh, Sabonis, Turner. Like the, 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 those are your five right there. Um, hopefully at that point, the bench is looking, you know, pretty steady with, 
Duarte, Justin Holiday, I mean, and everybody else. But that, that's what I would say would be the changes. I don't think that they're going to move one of the bigs to the bench yet unless it's, I think that's going to be a last resort. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I could see them playing a little bit smaller at times mm-hmm. with Warren at the four. They won't start out that way, but it will give you a little bit more of a dynamic where you can maybe play Warren at the four and Duarte at the two and 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 Karras at the three with Malcolm at the one and then play one of your centers at the five. Like, that's a really intriguing lineup, but I think it – you know, you bring Justin off the bench. You you hope that you get some more shooting with that bench unit. Probably means Keelan Martin's out of the rotation at that point. So you're probably going with McConnell, Justin Duarte, and Tory Craig with one of the bigs in that mix. So that's how I would see it. I think that TJ, you just want to see him get back to him to himself at some point at the end of the season. But getting into it, you want to just see him have a limited minutes restriction, see how he defends. We know we can score the basketball. I don't think scoring will be a big thing, but I want to see how he plants his foot, that kind of stuff, because that's going to be the biggest thing for him, you know, moving his feet on defense. I mean, he's a good player. I think sometimes because he's been so out of our minds so for so long, we forget how dynamic of a player he can be when fully healthy. So if he can come back fully healthy and get to that point, you know, earlier than we, we hope he can, then then you're going to have higher expectations for this team. But at the same time, it just doesn't seem realistic that he does, knowing how long he's been out with the century. Yeah, I mean, guys, expect something similar to when Karis LeVert first came back, where it could look real rusty out there. It really could. So give him some time. I know that even sounds like a crazy statement because of how much time we've been waiting, but we're going to wait for him to come back, and then we're going to be waiting even longer for him to get back to himself. So expect it. All right, Fachi. So let's move on to our next question here. This comes from uh, at P-O-O-T-T-Y-T. He said, how am I supposed to feel when I'm starting to come around on the Pacers team? And then I see this, and it was a quote tweet from something I had posted earlier in the day. And basically that tweet was from uh, a comment from the Bill Simmons podcast. Um, Haralabos Vulgaris, I'm I'm sure you guys, most, most of you guys remember reading articles about him being with the Dallas Mavericks front office and he used to be a big sports gambler. He used to come on the Bill Simmons podcast at Grant Lind and all that stuff all the time. And then he got picked up by the Mavericks, Mark Cuban, and then they put them on their front office team. And anyway, he knows Rick Carlisle. He knows Jenny Busek, and, and he knows Matt Weiner from his time with them in Dallas. And he said he watches a lot of Pacer games just because he likes those people. He's good friends with them. And he said, when looking at the roster, he said, it's a pretty flawed roster in terms of the Pacers. This is no real hope. They're kind of on the hamster wheel of mediocrity. And so the reason I shared that one is because it was in like perfect alignment with what Kevin Pritchard said he doesn't want to do with putting this roster on the treadmill of mediocrity. So that's why I tweeted it out. If you're wondering why I did that, because it was just so crazy to me, but you know, the question, the question here was, you know, how is he supposed to feel when it's starting to come around this team? And then you see that I think for me, just knowing that Harala Bob, was part of the front office, and that's how he views this Pacers roster. It gives you a little bit of an insight on probably what other GMs think of the Pacers' talent and, and their roster construction. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you pretty much hear that, and all you could say is a sarcastic, wow, thank you very much. Um, sounds good to me because it's like that sounds horrendous. I mean, that just sounds like basically everyone's like, yeah, this roster has no hope. It's only a matter of time before it gets blown up. But, I mean, in reality – 
I bet if you did ask a ton of GMs and they would all stay anonymous, they would probably say, yeah, this roster is probably not going to work. And I think the Pacers want that final experiment, finally seeing these five play together. We don't know if it's ever going to happen, but that's what they want, just to finally then say, hey, either it did work or it didn't. And yes, this roster is flawed, but you know what? We need to get them all together just so we could finally leave no stone unturned. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair point, but I also think at some point they're just like, we think Carlisle can be this magician and change everything. I mean, that's not going to be the case. I mean, Coach look at what he's do so much. Right, right. I mean, and the talent, the roster talent is limited, right? So we know that. But all in all, I just, I just think that this front office is being patient, not rushing to make a move, hoping that maybe some of their guys play really well so they can have higher value when they do indeed move them. But Coming up after this season, you're not going to have much trade value for guys like Turner and Karis LeVert because they'll be in an expiring deal. You know, if a team really wants Turner now, it'd be the time to trade for them. Same with LeVert or same with Sabonis because they've got multiple years left on their deal. Won't be when they're expiring contracts. So I think that that's something to keep an eye on as we approach the trade deadline and just kind of see how this team really feels about this roster. And I think by the end of December, you'll get a good pulse on what they're probably going to do based on how this record looks. But let's move on to our next question. And I tried to get an answer back, but I did not get one back or haven't seen one back from uh, from Jamie's. He said, are you looking forward to December 15th and Fachi? What is the only thing happening on December 15th? That is when a lot of players are finally eligible to be traded. I mean, basically, uh, okay. any free agent uh, playing on a standard NBA contract may not be traded until the later the latter of three months after they sign or December 15th. That is by NBA rules. So I guess that would include a, a TJ McConnell or a few <laughs> others. Um, I mean, I'd have to really go back and look at every guy that was signed this offseason. So, you know, I don't have December 15th circled on my calendar by any means, but I think that things could get a little interesting after that date. Yeah, so we play the Bucks at night too, which <laughs> yeah, is like what I'm you message. Forward to that day now. Yeah, so you messaged me that you're like, it's talking about the Bucks game, and I was like, kind of like half heartedly watching the game when you text me that, and I was like, I don't really know. And then I forgot I just said this like maybe like five minutes ago in conversation where I was like, yeah, December fifteenth is a cutoff date, and I don't even think I didn't put two and two together. But now that you say that, it does make a lot of sense. It does make guys more eligible for trades. Now, I would be shocked if the Pacers made a trade that early into December. So um, I would say January at some point, middle of January, which is when I would expect a trade. But uh, if the deal if a deal comes, you know, <laughs> and it comes knocking on your door, you have to answer it, and that's what happens. I mean, most of the time, Pacers, when they do make a trade, it's just kind of out of nowhere, like the whole Karis LeVert, Victor Oladipo thing. Like nobody anticipated the Pacers getting in on a James Harden deal. So that was interesting. But um, in terms of, like, blowing up the roster, <laughs> sure, I mean, I'm ready to make some moves. It's getting yeah, a little bit – I would love to. It's, it's kind of like when you open up a box of cereal and, you know, you, you close the plastic when you're done with your first bowl. You, you continue to get it for a couple of days and then you leave it up in the cabinet for like a week or two. And then you're like, I want some cereal again. Well, then you open up the box and you see that the plastic has slowly kind of opened up. And then you go to pour it and you bite into that cereal and it's just a little bit stale. It don't taste nearly as fresh as when you first opened it. That's kind of what it is with this Pacers roster. They're just like a stale box of cereal. Like it's... Ooh. It's, Man, it's like I would you love put some, that quote out there. <laughs> Pacers considered stale box of cereal. I mean, it's just like you, you put some milk on it. It tastes okay, but, you know, it's just like it doesn't really uh, satisfy you like you want it to, and it's not going to get you very far. 
in terms of satisfaction. So uh, let's move on to our next question. Jake Xline said, I know it's early, but based off of the sample size we have, what is a good player arc for a uh, player arc comparison for Chris Duarte? He said, I'm thinking Clay Thompson. Yeah, everybody loves the Dominican clay, you know, comparison over there. And like, I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I, I wish that Duarte can be, you know, 75 to 80% of the player Clay Thompson is because Clay Thompson is a really good player. One of the best three-point shooters ever. Um, a, a three-time NBA champion. I mean, the accolades go on. The guy guy dropped 60 points, and I think it was three, whatever it was. He, I think it was 60 and three quarters against the Pacers, or, or he had, what was it? 38 in one quarter, whatever it was. He, he torched us for over yeah. 30 points in one quarter, I remember. He wasn't even dribbling. He was just catching and shooting. So, yeah. I, I mean, that that's the common comparison going around. For right now, I, I guess I would have to agree that that's, that's what I wish could happen. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird because Clay is not a guy that puts the ball on the floor very much. And he's a good defender, though. I think Duarte is a better, you know, dribble uh, you can make more plays. Yeah, he's he's better off the dribble, in my opinion, than Clay probably is. I don't think Clay is really a great off the dribble kind of shooter. He can do it on occasion, but most of the time he's coming off screens and getting yeah. good pin down looks and stuff like that. So, to me, like, tonight when I was seeing Duarte hit a couple of those mid range jumpers, the first person that came to my mind was CJ McCollum. And I like it. You know, maybe it's because they both were number three. I don't know. Maybe it's just a mental thing with me. But I think mid range game. He's he he loves that mid range jumper. It, it kind of gives me some vibes, but obviously I think he's a little bit more athletic than, than CJ. CJ is not like the quickest guy and not a good defender. And, and we know that Duarte can be a good defender. It's just like a, a matter of him getting used to the NBA and getting the respect from the officials. But at the end of the day, Foch, I mean, really, if you think about it, I think a combination of those two guys is like really like high ceiling type stuff. He's just really inconsistent right now. Um, I exactly. think his shoulder is bothering him a lot. So the shot's not falling very well, and you'd like to see it be a little bit more consistent. Like, he had some big moments already this year, like the big game-tying three that should have been called a foul, according yeah. to the last two-minute report mm-hmm. against the Lakers. against Classic. LeBron in front of the Lakers bench, too. Like, the play wasn't even drawn up for him, and he just he made, uh, you know, he made chicken salad out of chicken crap. So uh, <laughs> at that point, it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing, but – there's not enough of a sample size for me right now to like be like, okay, that is who he is. But um, I like the version that we've seen so far for the most part. Clearly some things to work on, but um, he's a exactly. rookie. Look, know. I mean, on his, on his best days, it's fun to make those comparisons. And then if he comes out a little bit flat, it's like, whoa, did we just compare this man to Clay Thompson? But you know what? That's the fun part of making some comparisons. So on his best days, yeah. And I look forward to, you know, a larger sample size because then I think we'll be able to compare him to much more players. And it won't be a ridiculous statement because this kid is special. He's a rookie. So he's allowed to have those rookie struggles. And then when you see those big moments, like you mentioned, against the Lakers, I mean, be just having the ball in his hands for a game-winning, game-tying situation this early in his career is very rare. Yeah. No, I agree with you, Pachi. Let's move on, though, because we got a lot of questions. This comes from Stephen Grimes at SJ Grimes 35 He said, would you rather have the Pacers be blown up, a rebuild, and trading all their veterans, or try and continue to make a push uh, for a deep playoff push? it's rough because I I try and do everything possible to not say blow it up, but it's just like, I, I would not want this team 
to go even deeper and not have it be a big move. Like if the Pacers all of a sudden traded like their first round pick and, you know, Isaiah Jackson or something like that for a player that really wasn't going to move the needle that much, it would be really disheartening. Um, So if they're going to make a move, I would like it to be a big one. But if you're going to, if you're going to make a, like a a so-so move, then don't jeopardize the future because at some point, if you're not going to be a serious contender, you do have to finally consider potentially, you know, looking towards the future. And I know the Pacers front office is very reluctant to do that. They might never do that. But, I mean, you don't want to, quote, go all in just to win one playoff series. Yeah, so to answer this question, first and foremost, I want to say that I respect the Pacers for how they handle their business because there's a lot of teams that do tank year in and year out, and they're always back at the top of the lottery, no matter what kind of picks they get. Either the guys don't want to stay there or they do a bad job building around them. I mean, tanking is not an easy process. It's not. And it's it can be very difficult. But what I will say is we've seen enough from this group of Pacers that if they're not able to bring back the bigger names, I would be fine with the complete rebuild because it's something this team has never done. Never and if they could land that top five, top ten player in the next five to ten years by tanking, it's worth it because you're trying to win a championship at the end of the day. You're trying to win playoff series. I mean, look at what the Mavericks did. The Mavericks have been a really good team, right? They uh, they missed the playoffs one year, had a really bad season under Carlisle, and yeah, they got the, uh, the fifth overall, got the fifth overall pick, and were able to trade that with the pick for the next year to move up to number three to take Luka Doncic because the Kings thought Marvin Bagley was a better pick than Luka Doncic. So, you know, I mean, you got those type of teams that are in there that don't know how to draft. Like, you know, it's just, I sit there and I think to myself, like, it would not hurt. Like, imagine for one year, this team just absolutely is not fun to watch on TV, not fun to podcast about. But then we get the magic ball of landing in that top five, chance to move up. You get a guy like Luka Doncic and it changes your franchise. I'm not saying there's a lot of Luka Doncic's out there in the draft, but there are guys that can become that number one star on a team, and the Pacers don't even have anybody close to that right now. So I think that it's worth the investment to just go on a full rebuild and do it. They won't do it. I mean, but if it's, if it's me picking, I would much rather prefer them to do something totally different just so we could just see the experiment happen because, you know, constantly just trying to make deep playoff pushes with this roster, I just – I just don't see it happening, Fodge. I'm not trying to be negative. I just I look at the the landscape of the Eastern Conference, and I just don't see it. I, I don't. And, and the East has gotten a lot better. I mean, even the teams that have been so-so in the past are now finally looking like playoff teams. And when you look at this Pacers team, I, I think just like you said, we've seen enough to know, like, this isn't it. This team could be a playoff team but not a true contender. And then here's what I want to say. While we have our our dreaming caps on, for the people that say the Pacers don't draft well, they don't draft well when the picks are later on. But look at what the Pacers have done just inside the lottery. Okay, so at at pick 10, Paul George. All right? At pick 11, Miles Turner. At pick 13, Chris Duarte. I mean, these are really good pieces over here. Tyler Hansborough, Wayman Tisdale, Jonathan Bender. I mean, hey, yeah, Bender, uh, unfortunately, the injuries were, were rough. But just in the last couple of years, the three guys that I named, those are pieces that you can work with. And th- those are all from 10 to 13. 
if you can ever get in the top five, we can find someone that can hopefully carry this franchise for 10 to 15 years. Yeah, but I'd be disappointed if I tanked all year long to get a Miles Turner level player, well, which is somebody well, I already have on my roster. Well, yes, but we got him at 11. So okay. if you can get in the top five and get, you know, a top five level player, then yeah. I mean, and look, for Miles Turner and his situation, he was going into college the number two overall recruit. So it, it would have been rough if he ended up being like the second overall pick or something like that. But falling to 11, great pick. If you can get in that top five, I mean, obviously you're looking at a borderline star, but yeah. it's easier said than done. It is. So let's move on to our next question. Another one here from Jake X line. He said, which pacer not named Jeremy Lamb do you think has the best chance of getting traded this season? That's tough. That's tough. And, and, and to be honest, it, it, it could very well be Goga. I mean, Goga is someone that. I, <laughs> why don't I mean, you give us a good, up. why don't you give us a good answer, Fachi? Just be a little bit bolder here. Because I mean, these are. Lamb is, is clearly the guy that, bro, that. These are just such weak answers, man. Like we, we do this every week. Like I, I'll just flat out say it. I think they could trade. I think they could trade Miles Turner by the end of this year. Just, just be a little bit more bold because quite frankly, it's like, you don't think they're going to trade one of these starters and blow it up. If they're really not playing great. Like they're, I mean, I, I just don't want to sit here and just be like, Oh, they're not going to trade anybody. They like the roster. It's like, no, I mean, you think they're going to not, you think they're really going to trade Goga? You really think they're going to trade Goga? You really think they're going to trade miles Turner? I think they got a better chance to trade miles and Goga. Mm, I don't know about that. Uh, honestly, I, I think that the only way they trade Turner is if things go real South, like on their own, like a, solid losing streak or, or, you know, not really winning at all. Because here's the thing, if you break it down, no matter how boring it sounds, you're probably not going to be able to trade TJ Warren. You're probably not. And, and I feel like they're, they're going to want to ride it out a little bit because he's missed so much time. You can't trade Brogdon. All right. Then at that point, you know, they're not trading Sabonis. You just know it's not going to happen. I mean, that right could. I, I think that almost Delmas has a better chance of getting traded than Goga at this point. I don't know. I just imagine Goga would just be no straight up. There's he just no value. There's yeah. no value for Goga. Like it's the same with O'Shea Brissett. Like we could say, oh yeah, they should trade O'Shea Brissett. He's not in the rotation. Oh, they should trade Torrey Craig. He's a he's a role player. Oh, they should trade DJ McConnell. It's like these guys aren't getting you anything back. You're not just dumping them to get salary dumps. Like if the Pacers are going to make any move outside of trading Jeremy Lamb, it's going to be one of the bigs or possibly Karis Levert in my opinion, because they're trying to really shake things up and make a push for the playoffs this season. If not, then it's just like they're not going to do anything outside of Jeremy Lane. If this team is even remotely in the hunt, I don't think they're trading any of the starters at all. I think it would have to come down to them actually just, just crap in the bed and being like, hey, it's not happening. We're, we're sitting in like the 12th, 13th spot and with, with really no hope. Then at that point, people are calling about Turner. They've called every year. So, yeah, I, I guess I guess it would be Miles Turner. But it, only if the Pacers really can look themselves in the mirror and say, we're out of it. And you know what? They never look in that mirror. I don't even know if the Pacers own a mirror. I, I don't think they do. I don't think you own a mirror because you won't be bold. I want you to be bold, Fachi. Yeah, well, then at that point, you've, you've taken the bold pick because I can, I can go through it and say. I gave not- you the question first. They're, they're, yeah, but I'm saying you you made your pick. They're not trading Sabonis. It's not happening. You don't I think just, so? Not at all. They look at him as that's our marketable all star player. Like we have one right there. Well, you can't you can't trade Brogdon. 
I doubt they're going to trade McConnell after after they just re-signed him to a three-year deal. Uh, Levert, I mean, they, they, they had so much hope in him that I, I think they're going to ride it out. Let's just say Pascal Siakam becomes available, and they want Sabonis. You don't think they'd do Sabonis for Pascal Siakam? They would, but do you think Toronto would do it? I'm just asking. I'm just asking you if Toronto made Pascal Siakam available. Because they got Scotty Barnes, they got OG Ananobi, they got enough guys like that. Let's let's just even go look at someone like Sacramento, like we just talked about, De'Aaron Fox. If he became available, would you not trade Sabonis for him? Oh, well, I definitely would. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to sit here and say they won't trade him for nothing because he's not an A-level player. He should not be untradeable. Like, even if he is a two-time All-Star, it's just like tonight against the Bucks, the champion, the championship Bucks, he gets played off the floor. He, I mean, it's just it's just one of those things where it's just like Sabonis is good and does a lot of good things. I'm not hating on Sabonis, but to act like, oh, he's a two-time all-star, he shouldn't be tradable. Like we, we gotta get that narrative out of our head because I just at, think it's, it's yeah, I'm sorry. No, I mean I'm just I'm just trying to give you a little bit more of a pushback because I feel like we're too easy on Sabonis. I feel like we're always like, oh, they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that. You know, they won't trade him, they won't trade Brogdon. So like we want this team to get more athletic, and those two guys are probably the least athletic guys on our roster. I just think he's such a hard player to come up with a fair package for. It's fair. like the Pacers, I, I think, would end up taking a loss in almost any trade for him because I just don't think there's a team that's looking to trade that many assets for him. So yeah. at that point, it's like, why are the Pacers just going to – if you're just going to trade Sabonis for, you know, a couple quarters, you know, on the dollar or whatever it is, then at that point you might as well just shut it down. Well, I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if they can – he asked what player besides Lamb could you see be, like, most likely to be traded. Like, I'm not saying that Sabonis is the most likely, but I think that one of the big should be the answer. Yeah, uh, it, it, if we're being be fair. Because they, they, it sounded like they, they came – I don't want to say close to trading him, but they entertained oh, they calls have. about they him have. in the past – Year after year, and it sounds like they've probably even had some discussions. I wouldn't be surprised if they've had discussions with Miles Turner, letting him know, hey, this could very well happen. But yeah. uh, it never has, obviously. So, yeah, I guess the answer in the end would be if, if you're going to go with one of the starters, who's most likely? I would say it's the guy that teams call for every single year, Miles Turner. Okay, well, let's move on because that was a little bit longer than I anticipated. Sorry about that. No worries. Uh, I, I was uh, trying to drag it out there. But – this one comes from Ethan Hot, uh, high pitch play to his Twitter handle. He said, "What happened to o- O'Shea Brissett's minutes? I thought Carlisle had a re- uh, revelation about playing him more earlier this season." Honestly, O'Shea had that 18 point game against Miami, which we've mentioned many times, and I feel like that gave Carlisle some faith in him. And it lasted a couple of games. O'Shea struggled, and that was about it. You never saw him again until there was absolute blowouts where he'd get a couple minutes here or there. And ever since then, I feel like once, once Levert came back, once, once other guys were healthy, I, I just feel like that that was it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this the last couple of episodes. So if you haven't got a chance to catch us well back podcast, we've gone in depth about those, but pretty much it's just, we've had a couple guys come on and they said that he just wasn't putting in the rebounding work, the defensive work that Torrey Craig and those kind of guys were. So we saw it a little bit. He was struggling quite a bit. He lost his shot. He, he can be kind of a ball stopper sometimes, not the greatest defender. I mean, that isn't, I don't think he shouldn't be getting a chance, especially when you're playing a team like the Bucks and you need some shooting. And if he can get hot, that really does help. But it's just, you know, Carlisle had a revelation. He started playing him more in the rotation and the team started losing badly. So he took him out and they turned it around actually a little bit better defensively when they took him out. So I think that's part of the reason that he did that. And he up Torrey Craig's minutes quite a bit. So 
that is why I think that happened. And then Keelan Martin came back and he's got gotten some of those minutes as well, as well as Goga uh, and different games uh, here and there. So with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Moving on now to Reddit. This comes from at the effing Olfin. What do you think the Pacers are going to do with Jeremy Lamb? Are we just rolling with him to the end of the year and then parting ways? His expiring seems to be the key to a lot of trade options for us but I'm starting to think we're not going to be active at the deadline. I feel like this Pacers team has to be active at the deadline. We've heard Pritchard say he's not going to just make a deal just to make a deal, but this team seems like they are straight up right in the middle of the like, yeah, they could be a playoff team or they could just be a lot of team. It could go either way. And it's just like Jeremy Lamb is that ticket to that, that 10 and a half million dollars that, you know, you can attach a player with him. You could just trade him, take on a contract. He's the only way, not the only way, but he's one of the major ways to try and either improve this team or, or just get some salary off the books. I mean, he's got to go. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on what you want to do. Like, if you want to bring TJ Warren back next season, you don't have a trade out there for Jeremy Lamb. That makes a whole lot of sense. Then you let Lamb walk and use that money that's you know that the Pacers have with their tax you know that tax threshold because they're still under the tax but they're over the cap right so basically you just erase that money from Jeremy Lamb and slot it over into TJ Warren's bank if he ends up playing well enough and you're able to do that but I mean he's not in the rotation really right now he's like the 10th or 11th man plays occasionally like tonight he played against the Bucks but it was really just trying to get some offense going we saw what he did against the Hornets it's just like He's a vet that can put up points. He plays no defense whatsoever. So if there's a team like the Lakers or somebody that wants some shooting and they're able to find a deal that works where the Pacers think it makes sense for them too, like I could see the Pacers maybe trading him for like a, a third string point guard, somebody like a DJ Augustine in, uh, in Houston, something Round like that. Round two with the Pacers? Well, I mean, for a third string point guard, it's yeah, better yeah, than I Brad mean, Wanamaker, right? So, oh, yeah. so I, I think you could see the team maybe do something like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, Jeremy Lamb, whether he rides it out or not, it's just like he's not in the rotation. He won't be in the rotation whatsoever once everyone's fully healthy. So, like you said, they probably should make a move. But if they don't, it's really just because nobody wanted him and nobody offered anything. I mean, maybe at that point, I mean, would you see the Pacers maybe trying to elect for a buyout just to save some money? Because ask yourself this. They could. With, with Lamb's diminished role – it seems like there's close to no chance that he would be back with the team in any way. Yeah. So why ride it out? I think at that point, at least try and work out a buyout at the minimum. But you would think that you would be able to work out some type of deal, yeah. even if it means taking on you know some some future salary. 
I mean, there's got to be a team out there that would be willing to take on Jeremy Lamb with his offensive abilities. Like, we can hate on him all we want for his defense, but offensively, like, that dude can put the ball in the bucket. Like, oh, yeah. Guy put 23 points up against the Hornets. Like a quarter, in like, basically. Yeah, and a quarter and a, and, a, and a half. So it's like, okay, like, just let the man cook a little bit and, you know, he can do some things. But with this Pacers team, it's just like they're really trying to hang their hat on defense and he does not fit into that scheme at all. So, they got to do something to buy out a possibility, Foch. I just don't really know what, what's going to happen there. But let's move on to our next question. This comes from Sean Nanigans, 14. What changes need to be made in order for us to really become a winning team? Man, that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, first, stay healthy. I mean, you can't do anything if you can't be on the court. Um, so I would just say that. I mean, the Pacers, I think – at this era, I mean, you really got to probably be an elite defensive team because I don't see us having enough. We don't have star players, so you can't be a, a high-powered offensive team like one of the top scoring teams. So it's pretty much be healthy, play great defense, be able to hit threes. And, you know, right now I, I just think we're just a very middle-of-the-pack team pretty much across the board that can't stay healthy. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny that your voice started going in and out. It sounded like Darth Vader there for a second on the audio, so I'm <laughs> sure that picked up. It's a pretty funny voice. Uh, sorry. But, no, I agree with you. It's just, like, got to get healthy. That's number one. Number two, you're probably going to have to make a few trades here, just to be honest with you. Of course. Um, because you're going to have to hit on somebody in the draft next year that can be a game changer and then of course you really have to consider um making some moves and we've talked about some today i don't know if those are like the most popular ones out there but like if ben simmons becomes available like that's a move you have to really consider it really is though it's it's like your your team's not good enough he's a guy that could could be somebody that could help lead your team not saying he's a number one but he could be i mean we just don't know i mean he's always been behind a number one in philly so we don't know what his ceiling could be but at the same time we just I think you just the type of changes you need for us to be a winning team, um, maybe just a few more players that, that can help win, uh, maybe a closer, like just getting someone that can close games, that would be humongous for this team. We have zero closer. I mean, it's a, it's a by-committee thing, and sometimes it looks great like you saw against the Raptors, and sometimes it does not look great like you saw against the Bucks. So let's move on to Jacoby Brisket. On the typical night, what is the ideal number of shots you'd like to see Brogdon put up? I'm not an expert by any means, and I know it's a very uh, spec, and I know it's very speculative, but it seems as if the team as a whole plays better when he's not putting up 20 plus shots per game. I believe it was Mark Monteith had a, a stat that he uh, tweeted out the other night that was like, I think the Pacers were one in five in games that Brogdon had over 20 shots. I believe mm-hmm. they were five and one in games that he had under 15 shots. So it, it shows this, the stat could be a little bit skewed because some of those games where we were five and one were blowouts where Brogdon didn't need to play the fourth quarter. So it's tough, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the team's probably better when he doesn't have to score 20 or more because, uh, I mean, 20 or more shots, because I feel like those are the games where a lot of people tend to not have it going and Brogdon's trying to force a bit more. And as a point guard, you want to be setting up others more than you want to be scoring yourself. So yeah, I think if you can keep him under 15 shots, it could be more of a winning recipe. Yeah, the, the, the tweet right here says the best indicator of Pacers results. Once was number of shots Oladipo took. Minus 15, they were nearly unbeatable. More than 20, they were terrible. Malcolm Brogdon has a similar offensive game, and the same holds true for him. They are 5-1 and one when he takes less than 15, and 1-6 and six when he takes 20 or more. That was after, I believe, the, um, the Raptors game. So I, I agree with you. Like That's a great, st- great stat to look at. And asking about shot 
numbers. I mean, I think 15 is a great number for Brogdon. 10 to 15 is a really good range for him. Mm-hmm. Point guards, like you said, they're not supposed to be the ones always taking the most shots unless you're like Trey Young and you're running the offense that way. He's not that guy. A lot of people question if he's really the best point guard for this team. I think he's better off ball, in my personal opinion. But yeah. I think in terms of point guards across the league, he might be one of the, you know, I mean, what what better options could the Pacers really get at this point? For point guard, we talked about that in the offseason, like maybe Lonzo Ball, but is Lonzo Ball really that much of an upgrade over Brogdon? Like maybe a little bit, but it's just like there's still flaws. Enough. It's, they're just flaws in his game, right? Yeah, there is. And, and so with Brogdon, like you've got a steady player that plays pretty good defense. Like he played good defense against LeBron. Uh, against the Lakers. I mean, he didn't guard him the whole time, but I mean, he was giving him some of that, you know, physicality. He's better when he guards bigger players like that, not the quick point guards. And uh, in terms of shooting wise, though, I need to get back on track. It's just this team is best when they're balanced. When we saw him beat the Bulls, everybody in the starting lineup had nine shots, Sabonis had 14. That's the recipe for success is just everybody getting equally involved and knocking down their shots at an efficient, efficient rate. If not, then you're trying to find guys like Brogdon and Sabonis to take an uptick and shot attempts and that can mess up the flow of the entire offense a little bit and not get guys as involved or engaged. So, um, you know, the stats say it for themselves, five and one when he takes uh, less than 15, might be five and two after tonight, but um, still much better than one and six when he takes 20 or more. So let's move on to our next question here from uh, Chothered Smicken. So a little bit of the inverse there of Smothered Chicken. How far would the team need to go this year for the front office to keep this core together next season? Feels like large change to the roster is coming, but what kind of end of season result would pump the brakes on splitting the team? The scary part is I don't think this team needs to go that far for them to stay together. If they won a first round playoff series, I think that would be unfortunately considered a success. And they would say, Hey, we just needed this team healthy. So um, I think at this point to answer the second part of it, I would say if, if the Pacers miss the play in game overall, if you're not even in the top 10, Changes absolutely have to be made at that point because then you've waited and waited and waited some more to get healthy and never really got healthy. And for the couple games that you did, saw that, hey, you know, we're pro- we're not an elite team. I was going to say we're probably not elite, but we are not an elite team. So at that point, I think you would then have to make some serious changes. But a second round playoff appearance, unfortunately, could lead to, uh, you know, a re-signing of TJ Warren, basically keeping the core together. Yeah, if they want a playoff series against a good team, I think they'd give themselves a chance to run it back, especially if they were pretty competitive in round two. Now, if they get swept yeah. in round two, then they could make maybe another change and think they had a better matchup in round one. But I think ultimately, like, if this team, you know, makes the playing game but doesn't get into the top eight, they got to make changes. They can't run it back. There's nothing to sell with uh, the fan base on this team. It's just not a good enough roster. So you're going to have to make changes. You're going to have to take some risk. You know, this isn't a game of, Oh, well, just wait and see. Like, you know, you can only do that for so long. You got to be a risk-taking team. And uh, no risk, no reward um, is not going to get you very far. So uh, let's move on. He has one more question here. He says, if the trade deadline is uh, the February 10th, and in theory we see a month of Warren back by then, do you see the front office making a move even if the team's record is on track for the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I do. A move to try and strengthen the team. Um, I don't think if, if they're on track to be, you know, make the playoffs, it wouldn't make any sense to, you know, make a move to take a step back. I think at that point, that's what I mentioned. I think then you would look to trade a Jeremy Lamb and, and whatever you can to try and bring in someone that can be more of a nightly rotational player. But that also depends who's out there. And if you could really trade Lamb for, you know, whatever is, is 
good enough value. Yeah, no, that's the thing. <laughs> um, you you got to just see it. I mean, they could do something minor, like we talked about before. A buyout candidate, maybe? Maybe, like when they got Wesley Matthews, he was a buyout yeah. candidate. The, they, pick they, this time. they signed Lance Stevenson at one point late in the season to try to give them a little bit of a push. We saw them with Larry Bird make a trade for Leandro Barbosa when he was with the Raptors. Yep. And that paid off a little bit because he was actually decent enough. But um, defensively, he was still, you know, just a, a bit of a bit of a problem there. But I think if the team looks like they're playing pretty well and you want to maybe add one more piece of the bench, then you can maybe package a couple of guys and, and go that route. But ultimately, I think if they're playing well, they're going to keep it together. I, I would be surprised if they made any changes and then just waited until the offseason to see how it played out. Um, they wouldn't want to mess that chemistry up heading into the heading into the deadline if they're playing well at that point. That'd be my guess. And so uh, let's move on to uh, another one here from Reddit. A lot more questions on Reddit. So thank you guys for sending those in. This comes from Ducks Taped. He said, have we found out what the fans that got kicked out actually said or did to LeBron? The masses jumped to his defense and blamed racism or threats to Bronny. I'd love clarity personally. Fachi, have you seen anything on this? I've seen a little bit, but I don't know if you have. All signs seem to report to, and they, they even the guy who came forward even, you know, put out a picture of him standing right behind the fans. So it seems credible that it's at least the right person basically saying, and, and I hope I'm wrong, but basically saying that it sounded like the fans said that they wished Bronny would, you know, die in, in a car crash. And I've, I've that's heard not, that's not true. I hope it's not true. Um, I don't know for sure. What I have heard is that they were yelling at Carmelo most of the game too, and LeBron, the fans that got ejected. Um, apparently it was she flipped LeBron off, and that's what cost him. More than that. I mean, I don't know. I feel, I, like mean, that, I feel like that stuff happens, and it's like, you know, players might shake that off. For LeBron to, like, stop playing, like, these guys got to go, it yeah. sounds like he really had to have said something that really crosses the line, and I truthfully hope that they did not wish – death upon anyone let alone his son i mean that is beyond well, crossing it was literally one youtube commenter that said that and everybody ran with it and there was a guy on tiktok that posted a video where he was sad and didn't really have any audio of what was said but he confirmed that they did not say anything about the whole lebron dying in a car uh, scott agnes did do a report on this on fieldhouse files talked with some people but the, basically the pacers were not investigating this they were just going to let it be sham sharani came out with a tweet today basically saying like they are the fans will not be banned from ever coming back into the game. Like they're not banning them, they're not doing anything like that. So they got ejected for whatever they did. I, I'm assuming it wasn't if it would have been the whole LeBronny thing or, or Bronny, hope he dies in a car wreck thing. Like I would be surprised if they let them back into the arena for saying that. So to me personally, I think that probably did not happen, in, in my opinion. I, I'm just guessing based on everything I've seen and what the evidence we've seen. Like it seems like that's a bit far stretched. I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping I'm wrong. Uh, or hoping I'm right by saying that they didn't say that, but you never know. Uh, fans are stupid. Only thing I know from Scott's uh, from Scott's tweet, it's like they were uh, or Scott's article. She was a kindergarten teacher. Mm-hmm. The girl was a got ejected. So it's like, what kind of example is she setting for kindergartners? Whether it's flipping off LeBron or not, just uh, you know, you got to be wiser when you're in those seats and don't chirp it up with the other players. I mean, ultimately, I don't know for sure, but basically from Scott's reporting and what I believe Sham said in his tweets. It was more so an obscene gesture that was made, and uh, they were chirping all night. So um, let's just hope for the best with that. I mean, Indiana's already got enough of a uh, of a history with NBA players or NBA, yeah, NBA players 
deeming us as racist. I mean, Chris Bosch had a whole article out about it um, where he just trapped that in there. So, you know, just want to clean that up if any of that's going on. So just be better out there, people. Um, but let's move on. Malcolm Reynolds said, why are we not seeing Gogo or, o- or O'Shea play a lot? Is there a particular reason for this? I mean, I, I just think that Carlisle likes a, a shorter rotation of about nine players, and, and it's it's hard to, out of those nine players, have you know three centers basically in there. And for Gogo, we've seen him play a little bit more, you know, a couple minutes here and there. But O'Shea's really gotten squeezed out for you know reasons that you mentioned before. And I, I think things like you know, like I mentioned, Q and Martin, Karis Levert coming back, I feel like has kind of squeezed out O'Shea's minutes. You know, you mentioned the defensive issues. Goga just it's 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 hard to find him minutes like that. It really is. I mean, three centers is not ideal. But yeah. I mean, you tell me. Yeah, no, they're just not playing because there's not a spot for them in the rotation. They're not good enough right now. Tory Craig's playing better. Keelan Martin's playing better. Then O'Shea Brissett. O'Shea Brissett, I've seen him on the on the sidelines a little bit. Uh, even when he's come in the game sometimes, he's just not like super energetic trying to prove himself. He's got to work hard to get those minutes back. So when he's got those three, four minutes at the end of the game, he's got to give it all he's got. Um, didn't watch him at all against the Bucks. So if he played good tonight against the Bucks and great for him, that's what he has to do. In terms of Goga, he's gotten some spot minutes, but they're trying to split Domas and Miles up. They're the two best centers on this team for a reason. They start. If you can split up their minutes and let them both feast at different times alone when they're not together, you got to do that. And Goga just has to understand, hey, I got to be ready at all times. Foul trouble can happen at any moment. We've seen foul trouble happen with Domata Sabonis and Miles Turner throughout the season. So he's got to be ready, but it's it's just really, they're just not ready. They're not ready for this team to be what they want to be defensively in that start in that, in that rotation. So um, let's move on to the next one. Call me, uh, call me Taga. Do the Pacers have a project short or long-term? If so, what is it? I, I guess by project, you mean plan, I, I, would, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, Isaiah Jackson's a project. Exactly. That's the yeah. only one. Maybe Goga. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if that's what you're talking about in terms of project, like someone to develop, then yeah. I mean, Isaiah Jackson's for sure, like the ideal project of like, this guy has all the qualities you're looking for to develop. Goga, I felt like, was that exact scenario. We're now in year three. We're, we're still waiting you know, like I mentioned before, from a shot blocking standpoint, I feel like he could be really good. We're waiting for that three point balls to fall. I mean, I feel like in extended minutes on a maybe a non playoff team, I feel like Goga could put up, you know, some double doubles and stuff like that. But starting to run out of how many years are they willing to commit to Goga? I mean, I know they picked up his option, so he will be back next year unless they move him. But Isaiah Jackson, I, I would label as a promising project yeah i i don't really think outside of that there's any other projects for this team so let's move on to our instagram questions here we got carter davis 23 will miles turner finally get on an all-defensive team or will he stay getting disrespected he also said do you think malcolm brogdon deserves to be an all-star this year uh for the second part of brogdon unfortunately i don't think that he deserves to be an all-star i think i think he's played really good at times but it would really help if the Pacers had a winning record because there's going to be some talented guys that probably get the nod ahead of them. Uh, Brogdon is one of those guys that pretty much what seems like maybe every other night or so, he looks like he could be an all-star, but it's going to be tough. I mean, winning sometimes decides that. And we saw what happened when Sabonis got squeezed out last year. We thought he had the numbers, but you know, some other teams were, you know, the Pacers had the record and it still wasn't enough. So uh, then over to, um, Turner, Turner, defensive player of the year. 
I think if he stays healthy, he's making a better case this year than he's made previously. Yeah, so for defensive team, like there's only two defensive teams. It's tough. I think our friend Mark Schindler put out like his top, you know, uh, first team defense, second team defense, and third team defense, but there is no third team defense. But he had Miles on third team defense for him, so for the center position. So, you know, amongst people that are covering the league as a whole, I don't know if Miles is still there <laughs> in terms of like, Team one, team two. For me personally, when I watch him, I mean, Rick Carlisle saying he's the best run protector in the entire world. So, you know, that's high praise from your head coach. I don't think he just blows up smoke to me, making him happy or whatever. But I think Miles definitely should get respect. But, you know, if the Pacers aren't winning and the team's defense is overall not great as a team, then I can see why they don't give him that nod. Um, in terms of Malcolm Brogdon, he might be the best player so far this year on the seat for the team so far this season. I mean, you can make a case for maybe Miles. You can make a case for Domash. I mean, you can make some cases for some other guys, but it's just like this team, there's so many guards in the Eastern Conference right now. Guys you didn't have last year competing for positions too. So, you know, you're going to have your hands full here trying to get a pacer as an all-star. I don't see it happening. Um, just, just because, number one, there's just too many good players in the Eastern Conference this year. And number two, the Pacers' record right now isn't good enough. So if they go on like a 15-game winning streak or something stupid like that or like – 12 of their next 15, which is maybe doable. And Brogdon just leads the team the whole time, or Levert does. Like, maybe you get somebody like that in there. But I just don't see it happening, Flashy, whatsoever. I, I don't. I, I keep, I'm keep. i tired of saying this, but I just feel like Brogdon is, like, really in that first class that is just below all-stars. I mean, he's, he, he's a good player. He's a yeah. really good player. I mean, when you mentioned who's been our best, I would say that Brogdon has been the best pacer player this year. But – it sounds rough, but how much weight does that really hold? Oh, it holds a ton, bro. Yeah, I mean, the best <laughs> player on a 9-13 and 13 team right now is, unfortunately, I mean, we saw Trey Young not make the all-star team last year. Yeah, and that was you – know? uh, Yeah. yeah I mean, that I was a bit of a snub. I mean, Trey was, was pretty it was good. A snub. It was a snub. So. But how many people are going to really then go to bat for Brogdon? Because let's be honest, guys, he's not going to get the fan vote. Yeah. You, you know, that's not going to happen. So then it comes down to coaches vote. And, and it's like, look, the coaches know that Brogdon's a, a real good player. But I think it, that some of the bigger names and, and guys on teams with better records are going to be favored there. So I think Brogdon yeah. would make it if like one or two guys, you know, dropped out maybe due to injuries or, or couldn't play in the game. Yeah, I think Domas would get the coaches vote out of anybody right now. One, because he's got two all-star appearances. And, and two – if you look at a lot of the way these teams game plan against the Pacers defensively, it's to stop Domas from what he's doing. Um, most of them are that way. Now, some of them just play their basic defense, and that's what they do. But we've seen the Knicks. We've seen the Raptors. We've seen the Celtics do it last year. A lot of teams just try to build a wall so Domas has a hard time down low. And uh, I think that is something that is almost like a sign of respect by voting for him. But it, it really doesn't matter at this point. I don't care about the all-star game at this point. I just want to see them get more wins in the win column. But – uh, we got a three-part question here from Fester35 here from Instagram. He said, looks like the gauntlet continues. How do you think we end up after the next nine games? 10 and 10, Wolves only team without a winning record. Is this potentially the biggest key stretch in keeping this team together? So, obviously, the Milwaukee game, we lost tonight, but we got Minnesota, Atlanta, Miami, Washington, New York, Dallas, Golden State, and Milwaukee once again. How do you think we do in that, in that uh, uh, group of teams there, Fudge? Man, I'm I'm like trying not to giggle a little bit, but it's just like that is a hard stretch right there. Yeah, I mean, 
the Wolves are like looking like that. The Wolves or the Hawks look like the team that you would like to say, oh, that's a very winnable game. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, the Wolves, uh, this is the best they've been in a couple of years. They, they got a, they got a talented team between Anthony Edwards and Cat and D'Angelo Russell. I mean, those are three guys that are going to be hard to stop. Like you mentioned, we already lost Milwaukee. So Minnesota, I would say, look, that's a game that we can win. Atlanta, we, we can win. Miami, they, they've been they've been much better since we played them initially. Washington, I would like to be able to say that we're going to beat the Wizards. We came close last time, but it's not, that's it's so not weird to say. It is. I mean, it, it's sad, but like in 2021, entering 2022, the teams that have been bad for years are now all of a sudden good. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at that and like the Pacers are like, I, this would be ridiculous. They're not going to go like, Oh, and 10 in that stretch, but there is not a, a gimme like easy yeah. game in that stretch. Yeah. Nine games. And I, I was a little bit off of my wording there, but he was saying the wolves are 10 and 10. Yeah. So nine games coming up. I think you got to count losses versus Milwaukee. I already got one there. So you got two losses versus Milwaukee, probably losing to golden state, probably oh, you're, losing you're, to Miami. We're losing to golden state. So 17 and two right now. They're, you're talking about, I mean, they could be golden state. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, yeah I was gonna, I, but I, I think they have a better chance of beating Golden State a, versus a Milwaukee. Line. Just yeah. because Golden State doesn't really have any big guys that could, um, you know, contain our, our size if we wanted to play a little bit of a different game and try to just muck it up with stuff. Like, we, we came in there and took care of business against the Warriors last year on the road. So it's just like, you know, it's not like the most unfathomable thing if we had a competitive game with them. But Milwaukee, that's out of the question. So I think you're probably going to lose four games at minimum. From this, and I'm already counting tonight's loss, so five and four, four and five. I mean, splitting kind of sounds fair, but, you know, realistically, I mean, you're talking this team could maybe go two and seven. It's possible. It very yeah. much is. It's just like it's it's it ranges. I mean, you're hoping they'll pull out some games that you don't think they'll win on paper. I don't know what these other team schedules are like if it's like third night out of, you know, third game and four on, you know, or back-to-back and a yeah, second out exactly. of a back-to-back, like all this stuff. But just looking on paper at the schedule, I would say tomorrow is going to be a tough game. Minnesota was off today. They were off Sunday. So they're preparing for Monday. They're at home. They just got back from Philadelphia with a big win against them. Pacers traveling after playing a physical game against Milwaukee. So it's tough. It's tough. It's a tough schedule right now. So um, I'll just be fair and say four and five. Does that sound fair? It does because I'm going through it right now, and it's like I'm penciling in both losses to Milwaukee. I'm sorry, I am. And Golden well, we State, already lost one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but we're gonna lose that other one, unfortunately. Milwaukee, we're just we're just not. Ready we're gonna beat Dallas. We're gonna point. beat Dallas. We can beat Dallas. We can we're gonna beat, beat Dallas. Rick Carlisle's uh, not losing to Dallas. Yeah. So here's what I'm saying. Uh, we already lost to Milwaukee. We know that. I, I think the Pacers respond. They beat Minnesota. They beat Atlanta. So now you're you're one and two. Uh, they lose to Miami, unfortunately. Two and one, right? Well, yeah, they're two and one. They lose to Miami, so they're two and two. Okay. Beat Washington, so they're three and two. Uh, man, I want to. I really beat the pencil. Knicks. I want to pencil that in. So <laughs> just give me that. They're, they're four six and, and two. three. Fachi, go for no, it. No, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't sell myself on all of a sudden be like, you know what? We're going wild. But no, I, I'll say. The boy, actually, the boys go five and four. All right, they go five and four. Okay. They, lose, they lose both games to Milwaukee. They lose to Golden State. They lose to Miami. So okay. right there. And if they're going to underperform in one of those games, I, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be Minnesota. Yeah, I think it could be Atlanta too. I really do. I think Trey could give us problems. But um, let's move on to his next question. He said, "I really like Brogdon, but I think if we want to unlock his full potential, it's on the wing." 
Do you think a more traditional point guard could help this team? McConnell is awesome, but the, the lack of three-point shot is very telling sometimes. Fester, you, me, Alex, everybody out there has been dying for a traditional point guard. You just can't find them, though. You can't find a traditional point guard that has it all anymore because it's like, look, like he even mentioned, hey, look, we all like McConnell, but look, he is what he is. And it's just like you just can't find those those Chris Pauls out there anymore. I mean, they're, they're just not enough of them. So Brogdon is a good player, but we've talked about it before. He's like a combo guard. Like he, he's better off the ball. And it's like he's trying to be a point guard. I respect it, but you know, he, he's not a real point guard. Yeah, we need a true point guard. Brogdon thinks he is one. If you've heard Scott Agnes come on our podcast and talk about that or just talk about it in general, Brogdon wants to be a point guard. So I don't think he'll accept the fact um, if we go out and uh, get a point guard and move him down. I don't know what it would take to convince him to be like, hey, uh, you'll still get to run point with the second unit at times, but like you're not going to play it all the time. So um, I hope he would just buy into whatever, because if he likes being here, like he can be a great wing player. But I agree with you, McConnell. I just I I have issues with McConnell going back to just even last year. I mean, there's there's things that he does that are really good things that you cannot teach. He's just a hustle player, creates so much good things for the Pacers, but at times he's easily played off the floor with his size and his lack of shooting. So just like everybody else on the Pacers roster, flawed player. And uh, depending on the matchup, he can be really beneficial, but uh, come playoff time, I think you will see his minutes diminish to a very small, small role. I mean, JJ Barea is somebody that we compared him a lot to with Rick Carlisle being the coach and stuff like that. But Barea could shoot the three ball. I mean, Barea could put the ball in the basket. TJ McConnell, can only put the ball in the basket a certain way. And uh, teams will be able to figure out how to eliminate that because he is not a threat from three whatsoever. And they will gladly let him shoot that shot. So we uh, we definitely need a new point guard, in my opinion, to really maximize its team, but harder to come by than, than, it think, than you think. And uh, Brogdon will be that at least for the rest of the year. So last question here from Fester35. He said, is Turbonus actually working? Turner being a consistent outside threat on mid-high volume has really opened things up, and Sabonis is working hard defensively. Uh, I would say uh, this has been the best it's been uh, yeah. over the last few years. I mean, I know at one point they were like a, a plus seven, and at this point it was like it's been like two weeks or so. I'm not sure what it's what it's at now, especially when you you know you get at the two of them really struggle against Milwaukee tonight. But this is the best it's been. We've seen Turner really improve from a three point standpoint. We've seen Sabonis improve from a defensive standpoint. So you know those guys have been good. They just can't do it alone. So it's just like in a year where finally that's worked better because in the past I want to say those guys might have been like you know plus one, you know, better, or maybe even like a little bit of a negative, but this year it's been better. Yeah, um, I agree with you, Fachi. It's uh, Rick Carlisle even said it. Them together has been much better than than previous years. Their their solo minutes has been more in favor of Miles than, than Domas. Yep. So, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was Domas heavy, good solo minutes, Miles not so great. And uh, like a week later, it was flipped, and it's been that way ever since. So, you know, it's all about matchups. It's all about who you're playing with and who you're playing against and that kind of thing. So we've seen some weird combinations of lineups. We've seen some weird reps, uh, rotations with Carlisle. I, I think they're playing well enough. Um, they're probably, you know, it's not the ideal roster fit that you want, clearly, in today's NBA. But I'll tell you this, John. Um, 
not John, excuse me, um, uh, Fester. I'll tell you this: if uh, if you if you're wanting to like be optimistic about it, they're two of your top five players, so you need them out there as much as possible. And they both bring really good things. Both are super impactful on opposite ends of the floor, offense Domas, defense Miles. So you know they they're good. They're they're good together to some degree. Flawed, but but they do have some good moments together. They do, they do. <laughs> I just I just hope we can uh, continue to see that, but also see you know the rest of the team step up because while those guys can have a great rating together, if the rest of the guys are playing with don't, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, and this is where I got John. It's our next question, our final question from Facebook. John said, "If Reggie Miller came back to work for the Pacers organization." In what capacity would he best be suited? Upper management, front office, coaching staff, or media relations? I mean, I'm going to eliminate media relations because I feel like we can we can utilize Reggie for more. I mean, well, like, isn't everybody wouldn't they love if Reggie could just be on the coaching staff and we could be a winning team? Like, I mean, it was just awesome. Like. Larry Bird just is, is the Pacers coach for three years. They go to three straight conference finals and an NBA finals. And it was just like, oh, my God, like that man is Indiana. And it would be awesome to see Reggie Miller, 18 years with the Pacers, join the staff and the team starts winning again. That would be great. But I don't think he has any interest in that. So maybe being in the front office, I mean, being a player, maybe he could see things a bit differently. I guess I'd front office say. is my answer. Yeah. Give this man the keys to run this franchise. Herb Simon, don't override him. Let him make the decisions. Let him look at how the NBA is being played. I think he would do a good job of making the right moves. I mean, and if he doesn't, I, I mean, I can see why he wouldn't want to do that because he's beloved here. And if he were to be given that position, he'd be like, okay, if I fail at this, everyone's going to be mad at me. You know, he doesn't want to have any naysayers about Reggie Miller. So, you know, maybe upper management would probably be the best for him to keep his name in a, in, a, in a clear, you know, a clear from the negative side of things as long as he's able just to do some, like, minor stuff. But, yeah, um, I don't think Reggie will ever come back to Indiana as much as it hurts my heart to say it. Um, he'll, uh, he'll give us an occasional wave and talk to people when he's here to maybe call one game on TNT throughout the year. But that's about as much Reggie Miller you're going to see in Indianapolis. He's a, he's a California guy. I don't I don't blame him for not wanting to be out here. But, whew, Fachi, long episode once again. Lots of great questions from our listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed that. But, Fachi, big game against the T-Wolves uh, T tomorrow night or tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Um, but um, we'll talk about that on Tuesday. Where can people find us at now on social media? All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. You can find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You could find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. And you could find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. Now, Fachi, I don't know if you heard or not, but I set up Brendan King to uh, say the last three words. And uh, it was pretty ferocious. It was pretty energetic. And uh, you have to go back and listen to it and let me let me know what you think or tell me what you thought about his impersonation of the Let's Go Pacers. So wow. I just wanted to throw that out there for you. I set him up perfectly um, for uh, for the, the Pacers Raptors game. So he gave us a Let's Go Pacers like it was pretty good. So you have to <laughs> go back to and that. listen and, uh, and uh, see if you like it. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're wanting to turn things around and forget that Bucks game and get back on a winning track, 
against a young and upcoming team in Minnesota on the road tomorrow. Didn't say these three words. Let's go Pacers.